I want as few <clears throat> magnets jokes in this as possible because everybody knows that fucking song. I, I challenge us to go to Hi, and welcome to Anne Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. And I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing, well, a journey. This week we take a look at the little understood but widely reviled subcultures around jam band heroes Fish and the horrorcore rap duo Insane Clown Posse through Nathan Rabin's memoir, You Don't Know Me, But You Don't Like Me. Rabin weaves a story of personal collapse, musical obsession, and lovable misanthropes that we will thoroughly dissect. But first, let's introduce our own guest this week. Whoop whoop! He's Brooklyn's only socialist playwright, a fact I don't care to substantiate because I just made it up. On the third mic... It's Ben Ferky. Hi, Ben. Hey, how's everybody doing out there? In the radio land. <laughs> you radio, know, Radiohead. Hey, all you Radioheads. Hey, all you Radioheads. Uh, you know, we still call it Radio Land, even though we've moved on to a new medium. It should more be like uh, uh, Pod... Pod Bill. Village. Yeah, Pod Village. Pod- Podopolis. Podopolis. I love Podopolis. <laughs> yeah. How are y'all doing out there in Podopolis? Relaxed. Um... So before always relaxing in Podopolis, always relaxing, and your underwear is always clean and new. This <laughs> isn't a say, this isn't a like sponsored situation, Podopolis. <laughs> but it could be. Yeah, Podopolis also is a place where everyone is always either driving or doing the dishes. Yeah, <laughs> the two the two professions. Yeah. Um. So as always, before we get into the uh, true story, I like to give everybody's background a little bit with uh, the source material. Uh, you know. This is obviously going to be about three things, about uh, Fish, about Insane Clown Posse, but also about Nathan Rabin, who is a uh, pop culture writer that I think we're all fairly aware of. I'm aware after reading his book. Did you know, Molly, did you know anything about him beforehand? I'm sure I've randomly read his, he's the head writer at the, is he still the head writer at the AV Club? No, he has since moved on. He's a writer emeritus. Yeah, but okay, so. Was he at the Chicago Reader or I haven't been keeping up. He's been forging an independent career nice. from various other mediums. He was involved with the Dissolve for a while. Uh, mm, who who wasn't? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I w- I'd like to start by saying that I was I was fairly uh, deep in the AV Club during the like Raven era of the late aughts. I would say in which he was shepherding it up as like a fairly prominent uh, pop cultural institution a lot of people that i know who are big on the internet uh came up from that era of it so i had a lot of respect for him as a pop cultural writer figure mm-hmm. uh, because i was i was fairly interested that was when i was first being extremely online that was one of the places <laughs> that i started being online it at. is an extremely online those were, those were really the be. golden days of being online like yeah, the last yeah. the last sort of like vestiges of like the old internet before the the horrible new world order sort of yeah it, in the immediate in. pre everything is social when you actually still went to websites yeah. and when, like checked out everything that they had there when I had the attention span to read an article that was more than like three paragraphs long yeah mm-hmm. exactly and you, and you would like really be excited about that you'd be like oh there's a long read <laughs> Wait till I tell all my friends to read this incredible piece and, you know. Yeah, wait, uh, wait till I uh, print this off and wrap it around a pigeon's leg and send it to uh, one of my friends on the other side of campus. That seems like a, a cool artisanal thing to do now. Like someone should start a business that is sending pigeons long reads to your friends. Um, yes. Maybe then they'll read it. The traffic would be slow, but steady. I, I tweeted about this a while ago, but um, my my dad worked at this school. That, and I remember when I was a little kid, um, before they had the internet, they would literally hand make memes where they would like print out 
like someone's picture and then like a weird inside joke and like really bold text and then they would they would paste it all over camp like oh my god so it's like literally like artisanal memes artisanal co- memes coming out of new england in the 90s that's a, incredible homemade, homemade memes <laughs> i once went to uh like a, a diner that their bathroom was like papered and printed out like jokes and memes i was just like <laughs> this feels right somehow i don't know something about it um so anyway but, you were anyway. extremely online <laughs> so i've like yeah. i've read this book before when it first came out because I was like interested in his writing and his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben, I understand you also have read this book. Yeah, I read it. Um, I, th- um, I assume around the time that it came out, uh, it was a Christmas present and I, I really appreciated <laughs> it was actually, it was a great present cause I could read the whole thing just like on the train back to college. Sure. Yeah. Um, Good and I, I wasn't exactly, I wasn't super familiar with, uh, Nathan Rabin, uh, specifically as a writer. Like I, like I couldn't, I couldn't really tell you, I couldn't point to like a specific thing that he's he's written. You but hadn't sh- read like the majority of my year of flops. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> I <laughs> to shout out one of various columns he had written. Yeah, and so but like I, you know, I'm, I'm sure that I had read him. Like he was in the ether, and I was familiar with his work somehow. Yeah, because um, it seems like very like if, even if like you haven't read him before, he seems like you know like a guy that you you would know. Like he's a, he's a, yeah. he's got a very kind of like affable demeanor for it. Yeah, and he was kind of riding that wave of the current round of like fun snarky. Uh, like TV movie criticism, the kind of stuff that your, was also popping your, up on your like, Klosterman's. Like, yeah. yeah, he reminded me of. He reminds me from like a kind of a more like a younger, hipper Jim DeRogatis. Sure, maybe because they're both Chicago guys. But yeah, um, and then the second layer to this today is also the two bands in question, ICP and Fish. Uh, two uh, mismatch, but as Raven points out in this book, oddly similar bedfellows. Um, Molly, you're from. Vermont. I'm from so Burlington, Vermont, baby. You have whoop, whoop. a deep. <laughs> whoop, whoop. <laughs> so obviously, you have a deep, lasting spiritual connection with Trey and the boys. Well, that's the thing is like, even though I don't, I feel like I kind of do because they really do infiltrate just the air in Vermont and in Burlington in particular. You can feel them coming in the air today. I can. Da dun, da dun, da dun, da dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah, no, we, my favorite hang in high school was Nectar's, which is where you got these bomb ass gravy fries. And I like, that's where, that's where they came Nectar's. up. Yeah. <laughs> Nectar's is the shit. Um, gravy fries are incredible. I, yeah. I endorse them. Whole, so good. Um, and that's where fish like came up in the mid eighties. They have a song called picture of Nectar. Mm. Um, like I have friends who played in the Vermont symphony orchestra with Trey Anastasio. Like the, you're like cool. three degrees away from fish yeah, constantly, whether you like it or not. Everybody yeah. who ha- in Vermont has a cousin whose buddy roadied for fish. Ye- that seems accurate to me. Yeah. More or less. And yet I don't, I had never, I don't think I've ever sat through a full fish song, which is not my fault because <laughs> years, there's no such thing as like a casual dabble. And if you can't fucking put on a three and a half minute single, you have to sit down for a full 25 to 35 minutes. Absolutely. And yeah, absorb. It's, it's, it's a band that you have to like add to your, your Google calendar for the day just yeah. to like carve out enough, enough time for you to really <laughs> take that deep dive and the fish, guitar solos. Right. Fish isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. Do, <laughs> do not disturb. <laughs> Feeling the vibes. Uh, and then, I mean, Ben, do you have any uh, identification with fish? With fish, um, not really. Um, I was more of like a, a like a punk kid growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, I did have friends like my freshman year of high school who were into fish and like hacky sack and yeah, all that kind of. stuff. I was going to say, what were your friends like? The fish friends? Well, they were like they were like these two. I was like it was a very preppy school, um, and they were like you know they'd wear boat shoes and. <laughs> uh, 
like khakis all the time, even though you know they didn't have to after class was over and stuff. It was it was a it was like a boarding school, so it was like super super preppy and okay. Stuff. Yeah, my I grew up there like on campus, so like I've seen like generations of fish fans like kind of. Oh my god, years. that's one of the interesting <laughs> things about fish versus like the Grateful Dead or even yeah. some of the like crunchier jam bands is that fish can kind of bridge that gap between the crunchy jam band fan and the preppy yeah the really yes. genteel kind jam of jam band fan yeah the weekend warrior yeah jam um, bander the oxford tucked into khaki shorts the guy the guy is, who pays like 100 for an eighth of weed yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> I went my first job out of college. We worked in the same like floor as this venture capitalist company, and this guy who was interning there was also my age and was exactly like the you know he had his button down shirt tucked into his uh, chino shorts, and he was a huge fish head. And he's like, yeah, man, like I rearranged my whole work schedule to be able to go follow them on tour. Yeah. And I'm like, you're oh gonna God. be making, you're already making so much more money than me, and you will just continue to do that forever, and you'll have enough <laughs> money to spend as much dough as you want on the lot. Yeah, at the yeah. fish shows, um, as many grilled cheeses as your little fucking heart desires. Yeah, it's funny because it's like they, in some ways, they seem like a safe hippie band. Mm-hmm. Where if you are like an extreme prep person, they're still like the the hippie thing that you could get real into. But then some of those people do go all the way and become the actual uh, heads, the crusty. Yeah, yeah, yeah who the, then go out and like uh, do goo balls in the uh, in the parking lot. Chris, what's a goo ball? A goo ball, as I understand it from uh, Harris Whittle's uh, R.I.P. Uh, <laughs> niche podcast, um, Analyze Fish, is kind of a... Great uh, podcast. Yes. Great. Great, great show. Uh, one of the vague inspirations for this kind of uh, thing, just mm-hmm. like long form talking about bands that we like. Um, it, it's just like a baked uh, like treat ball of drugs. Okay. Just a grab bag. Yeah. <laughs> M- mixed Mixed nuts. Is there a primary like brain uh, alteration, like hallucinogen or uh, stimulant or what, or is it truly just like Baker's Baker's choice? That's not a real term. Baker's uh, choice. It's dealer's choice, a, I guess. Dealer's it's a quote unquote herbal treat, a ball shaped <laughs> mass of oats, honey, granola, various cereals, sometimes chocolate, graham cracker, and anything else that is tasty. Oh, so are there drugs in it, or yeah. is it just a yummy? And it's like weedy. Oh, oh okay. okay, that sounds so. It's wholesome. just a, so it's just like a weed edible then. Yeah, it's a but weed it's edible, like a but really, it's like really good one. It's basically like yeah, a chocolatey, treaty, it's, it's granola-y bar. It's been like it's like a gentrified like yeah. weed brownie. It's like a, yeah. it's, like a <laughs> it's like a hippie cake ball with weed. Oh, that's a good mm. that's a good description. Cake pop sounds cake pop. it sounds fab. Sounds good. Uh, goo balls. <laughs> Anyway, should we dive into this delightful narrative? Let's dive in. Just yeah, one more thing. As we dive in, I do want to say that uh, as we, we said up top, most of us have at least some knowledge of Nathan Raven. Uh, and I think most of us also, as far as I do, like enjoy his work, enjoy this book, but have some very some thoughts that it's fairly goofy in some places that I am not going to hold back from pointing out. So, yeah. Nathan, <laughs> if you ever listen to this, because I know you voraciously consume pop culture, no that this all comes from essentially a place uh, of respect and admiration for what you do, but also so, this book has some flaws. Yeah. We're, uh, we respect you too much to, to like, to, to, to sure, you know, to put the kid gloves on and stuff. Listen, like, if it's a memoir about music, about a fan's experience of music, there's going to be some weird stuff about girls in there. Like, yeah. just straight up. Especially one written by a man. Yeah, yeah. Man. That, that that was yeah implied. Also, like um, women have no flaws. Yeah. There are some parts of the book that kind of go into um, like Nathan's uh, like sort of like psychological history and 
um, some substance abuse stuff, and just like you know, I like to say, like you know, we're sensitive to that, and you know, I've I've had problems with both of those, so like uh, I absolve you guys of any <laughs> ableism. Right. Okay, I'm, like, I'm, I'm like the Patrice O'Neill, like <laughs> Opie and Anthony. <laughs> My, that, my presence makes it okay. But okay. Like, so like, but like in, in all seriousness, like we're not trying to like insult any, like anybody, yeah. you know, content um, warning, yeah. baby. Yes. I love Ooh. a good content warning. Is it, anyway, Ooh. let's Ooh. talk about Ooh. 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 grown men who put paint on their face Great. and dresses mur- and rap about being murder clowns. Oh, so good. Um, so Nathan Rabin, he's like 35 years old at the writing of this mm-hmm. point, And he's sort of at this like point in his life where he's met a younger lady who he has chosen to call cadence who's like a decade younger than him, like nine years younger than him. Mm-hmm. Who's counting? But um, they, they had, even when they started dating, she was like maybe 20 when he was 30 or something. Yeah. 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 They meet when she's like, like, like a minor. Basically. Yeah. Like fab, but they don't, but then they like, they, they like sort of fall out of touch for about a decade. And then yes, reconnect uh, okay. once he becomes uh, a famous writer and she like sees something he wrote. And, Quote unquote famous. famous but, yeah. Notable writer. Internet famous. I pre- as, almost as famous, famous as you can get as a writer without like literally being yeah. Toni Morrison. So, um, the two, the two levels of writer fame, Nathan Raven and Toni Morrison. That's it. That's all there is. Um, black and white. Literally. Sorry, Jennifer Egan. Sorry. Jennifer. Hey, I love Jennifer Egan. Yeah, but she's, she's not, quite, she's not in the spectrum. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Cadence was a fish fan in her youth, which I guess wasn't that long ago. Um, and Nathan Raven wants to sort of Photoshop himself into Cadence's memories of being a fish fan. He gets interested into the, this idea of like being a fan of a maligned group. Um, likewise, he finds their sort of spiritual cousins in, in St. Clown Posse. It seems like basically the internet and his personal life just sort of barfed up these two opportunities to combine into a book. <laughs> Never have I read a book that seems more of a book proposal. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. I th- But at the same time, he acknowledges that this book also goes off the rails and he has to like get it back yeah. on the rails again. But the idea is that he's exploring like the nature of fandom Um the nature of like being a fan, especially of like a niche band that most people don't like or have automatic opinions about. And then um, also just like probing the ideas of like what it means to be a fan of things that you weren't a fan of in your youth, which I am starting to relate to at the like age of 28. Yeah. Which is a bummer. No, it's great. I love being 28. It's It's interesting because (laughs) as you said, his his fandom of this seems like, somewhat constructed anthropologically, but then it then becomes something more, which we'll get into. But it is funny to me how much even just him himself seems to have like kind of single-handedly manufactured a reconsideration of these two things. Yeah. I mean, I think there were a lot of forces going in. Like we were talking, I think before we started recording about the era of round when this book came out, where every site was like, well, we need a full-time staff member to just research Juggalos for content. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you got on the was, Juggalo beat. This sort of comes out around, like, peak Juggalo. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> back when Juggalos were a, a interesting anomaly rather than an essential class ally in the <laughs> struggle against uh, fascism. Yes. <laughs> but his interest in these things he, he come, seems to be from a place where he's like, I can tell that this would be a thing that people would enjoy talking about. And so I'm going to make myself super into these things Mm -hmm. as both out of sincere interest and as a manufactured, like, and then they will register with people. Yeah. I think that, um, this book, like it's important to kind of like picture in like the context of when it came out, because, uh, I feel like since around like 2012 over like the last, you know, five, six years, however many years that is, I don't know math. 
um, there's been it's become like a lot more acceptable for I think like prominent music critics and, and writers and stuff to be really open about have about like their love of bands that aren't considered super hip. Yes. Like um uh basically it's like now it's okay for no matter who you are to be like, Oh, I love Ariana Grande, I love Car- Carly Rae Jepsen, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so like the whole optimism thing. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, and you have stuff like like Eve Pizer on Twitter, like you know, saying that like insulting Nickelback is is classist and stuff. So there's there's very much like a right now we're we're kind of in like in a period where like nobody really demonizes fan like, fa- like groups of fans anymore mm-hmm. unless they like are like the fire festival people and yeah that's really more the organizers. Those people weren't fans. Yeah, they were consumers. Yes, <laughs> um, they wanted an immersive experience. Yeah. Yes, um, um, which who doesn't? But like at the time, you know, I think it was a lot. It was a lot harder to kind of go out and say and be like, I'm going to follow Fish and I'm going to follow ICP mm-hmm. and I'm not only going to like sort of like get immersed in the culture, I'm actually going to like make like a good faith effort to to like these bands and to, to tr- like really get to know these people as people and not like as like you know like sort of animals on like this weird like yeah sort of safari into the the unknown yeah um i will totally. say though yeah. just like blanket over the hating on nickelback is classist is that i <laughs> more or less, more or less <laughs> agree just got me pregnant uh, what uh, are you going to say <laughs> I, more, I more or less agree i mean that's like a very like harsh black or white thing but i think that something that comes through in this book very clearly is that a lot in these like universally reviled bands, quote unquote universally reviled, there is like a heavy class element. Oh, for sure. To it. Yeah. Yes. And I think that Raven does a great job of unpacking that. He definitely does. And he definitely shows like kind of two extremes where on like on the one hand you have like, we were talking earlier about, about like my like preppy fish fr- friends, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, fish kind of has like their sort of stereotype is they have a lot of like sort of trust fund hippies. And so like they provide like a very interesting, like, you know, they're, yeah. the, they're the other side of the, the spectrum. Yes. Yes. Um, just a quick breakdown of who these people are. Fish are a bunch of dudes who met at UVM, University of Vermont, in the mid-80s. They were like underground weirdos until the mid-90s, at which point they cre- they had their ascent. Um, their album, Billy Breathes, which was produced by Steve Lillywhite, a.k.a. U2's uh, main main boy, or for a while anyway, um, that hit the top 10. They played for 70,000 people at a fest called the Clifford Ball in uh, 1996. In 1999, they played a seven and a half hour set on New Year's Eve at a show, which is just like, what? That's too much. For yeah. I mean, Ariana Grande <laughs> is not going to do that, yeah. I don't think. The Grateful Dead didn't do that. Yeah. Or, or if they did, I'm sure people like didn't really like it that much. Have you guys ever done anything for seven and a half hours straight? Slept. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. These days, like yeah. I don't even know. I mean, if like I've, 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 I've played Fallout Four for for seven and a half hours straight, but I feel like that's a little different. Yeah, that's, that's honorable. They did like, take bathroom breaks. I mean, Fish did. Yeah, and then like you know, sometimes you're sh- you're shooting super mutants, other times you're shooting robots. Yeah. It's like, this, yeah, there's, like, like variety. there's variety with Fish. Is you're just getting fish songs. Do they take it's just noodling. Do they take bathroom breaks as a band, or do just like one leave while the other ones do keep playing? Thank you for asking, Chris. I looked up the uh, <laughs> the YouTube recording of this which was pretty decent for something archived from 1999 and uh trey the you know how on youtube where you can um time code and you can go to the time by clicking on it they literally marked it out by like their set list and then at one point they said trey goes to the bathroom and then two minutes later uh mike fishman also goes to the bathroom uh what is the name of this festival again uh this was um Oh gosh it's not the clifford ball it's uh big cypress this is that big cypress 
Um, they played from midnight until daybreak. All right, let's see if we can find just a second of Trey goes to the bathroom. <laughs> I'm eager to hear this. I mean, I assume he's not mic'd up for it. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that happens in theater. Like, this is like the actors like, have their mic still on sometimes. Oh this is God. four hours and 35 minutes into the set. Band discussion slash Trey takes a bathroom break. How are the how are the fans like so awake? Yeah, four, so this is four thirty in the morning. <laughs> it's drugs. <laughs> I guess, but like I remember, so uh, goo balls. I was, They're uh, just full of uh, omega threes. You know, yeah. hopped up on goo balls. I, I was I was reading like the the Wikipedia for Woodstock, and um, John Fogarty from Credence talks about how. They were playing at 3.30 in the morning because they just, like, went out because the festival was a real shit show and everyone was going on late. Yeah. And he said that, like, they were playing to, like, literally just a field full of sleeping people. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. So I guess maybe, maybe you know, this this festival was just better than Woodstock and we're all wrong. I think I think that... <laughs> I think that might be, like, canonical proof that this festival is better than Woodstock. Yeah. Just uh, qua- quantitatively as well as qualitatively. Although I will say that, given the description of a gathering of the Juggalos, may actually be better than Woodstock. Mm. <laughs> yep. Just for real, like for real. <laughs> and then I guess it goes into a piano ballad. Oh, we, t- we talked over. Trey goes to the bathroom. Trey goes to the bathroom. Isn't there a, a, little, a little clip that says Mike Fishman says, like, well, I guess I might as well go to the bathroom, too. <laughs> Maybe uh, we have yeah. different YouTube. Four hours, 35 minutes, band discussion, Trey takes a bathroom break. Four hours, 38 minutes, Fishman, uh, dash, Ah, oh, what the heck. I'll go to the bathroom, too. <laughs> fish, fish seems like the coolest member of Fish. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm here for a dude who wears dresses without any, like, other commentary on, like, gender uh, expression. He just, like, likes to wear dresses. Yeah, like, we all... Ventilation rules. <laughs> Especially yeah, if you're no, drumming. I... Oh, my God. Um, I, yeah, I remember, like, um, the first time I ever... Like met like a, a man in a dress, and he was he was like a tour guide on like a rafting trip I was on, and I was like, "Why are you in a dress?" And I'm like, a, "I'm like a shitty teenager. I don't know any better." Sure, sure, sure. And um, and he's like, "Feels better." Yeah. And it was kind of like this like little like light bulb going on. We're like, "Oh, oh yeah." <laughs> Free Listen, if we want to. as long as a dress has pockets, like you're good to go. You got everything you need. Some airflow, place to put snacks. It's perfect. Yeah. Anyway, fish. They had their pinnacle. They had their fall. Uh, Trey Anastasio had some substance abuse issues, was arrested for, like, Mondo drug possession in 2004. The band... Aggravated drug possession. Just, yeah. Like, impressive drug possession. Just, it seems like when you read the list of the drugs, it's like, oh, he had all the drugs. Like, yeah. every every single kind. Yeah. Um, and then they broke up, and they had a farewell festival in Coventry, Vermont, which was, like, a shit show. Yeah. Um, just, vibes. like, a horrible... Bad vibes. Yeah. No, the <laughs> vibes got bad. And, like, Raven acknowledged, he's like, the vibes were... Like, you know, harder and harder drugs were getting into the scene, and, like, it was just becoming a, a not good thing. It overlapped with the British, like, ketamine scene. <laughs> oh, my God. Is that a thing? Yeah. That, that's that all the British festival goers get all K-holed out? Okay, really? got yeah. got it. In the I mean, the mid-aughts were, it's not a, not a hot time for anybody, I don't think. No, it's... I think if we could go back and do it again, we might do it differently. Um, a little more yoga, maybe. Anyway, the they take a five-year hiatus, but they get back together in 2009, and they are now just noodling for the masses, as Raven says, to the delight of the subculture that had mourned its demise like the death of a loved one, which I don't think is inaccurate. Um, people loved 
fish and love fish. Insane Clown Posse. They are a rap duo from Detroit. Uh, the side dude is Shaggy Too Dope. He's the fun uncle of the group, as uh, Rabin describes him. And then Violent J. Uh, Joseph Bruce is his Christian name. Uh, he's a man completely devoid of pretensions beyond his stubborn contention that he is partial to a vast and unknowable spiritual realm beyond our comprehension. <laughs> <laughs> That's Violent J. That what is-, is this? This is the dark carnival, guys. The, gar- the Dark Carnival is the mythos that provides ICP's like narrative, uh, their um, their raison d'etre. Uh, Violent J's opinion on the Dark Carnival, he says, do you think I- I'm smart enough to come up with something like that on my own? I'm a fucking dumbass. I never made it past the eighth grade, remember? So I don't really know much about the Dark Carnival other than it's a series of Joker's cards released as albums that sort of give the prophecy of what is going to happen to all of us? Yeah, I, I, I never really, like, I did, I did some research into both of these bands, just listening and stuff, like, um, to, to prep for this, and it's it's not, it doesn't really, it's like, it's sort of like they, they, they form, like, kind of like a loose, like, narrative concept. Yeah, they're, like, like, characters that are, that, yeah. um, are up here throughout Yeah, the, reoccurring characters, like the Great Malenko the great and stuff. Malenko, yes. But, like, it, I would say that it has a plot in the way that, like, American Idiot by Green Day has a plot, where it's like, <laughs> yeah. you're like, well, I know this is, like, a song by What's-Her-Name, but, like, I and she's kind of, I can understand her perspective, but I don't know what's, like, happening, like, who she's talking to. Thank you for giving me validation context. for not knowing what the fuck American Idiot was, like, actually about on a granular level. I'm like, it's a war story! Yeah, it's like it's, it's, I, thought it, I thought it was about George Bush. <laughs> it's a war story. What if, what if I told you George Bush was the American idiot? <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, checks out. That makes sense. Are <laughs> you going to say what if George Bush was the Great Malenko? I don't know, maybe. But I think there are also Just like both. circles of existence that it describes. I mean, it's, okay. it's a it, from what I've read, it's it's not extremely concrete. And then in the end, they like teased out like all cults. You have to build to something, some yeah. kind of great revealing, uh, some kind of big unveiling uh, that either leads to like the dissolve of the co- of the cult or like the mass death uh, event. <laughs> literally, your uh, heaven's literally. gate moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And as far as I can tell, that they kept building to like the final Joker card, the final Joker card, and then they kept teasing it and zigging and zagging, and then eventually they actually did play it. And it was like, oh, no, it's just all Christianity. Yeah. Christ, Christ is the answer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's God. You're going to hell unless you fix yourself. Yeah, it's, it's be a good person and you'll you'll meet God. Do yeah. the ICP boys go to church regularly? I'm just interested in their concept of Christianity. Like, um, what does that look like for them? Other just, than, like, just having, like, the gathering. Just given their, um, just sort of, like, the way that they... They're, they're sort of written about in this book. And, yeah. You know, which also extensively quotes uh, Violent J's memoir. Right. Seems great. Yeah. I want to read that we'll, next. We'll probably cover that on a future episode. <laughs> I really don't think that it's anything more. It's like it's like it reminds me of like like Ben Franklin's like sort of concept of deism, but like in a way, but like way dumber. Where it's basically <laughs> just like oh, there's like this like universal force that kind of like you know makes some things happen, but like doesn't intervene on everything. Yeah. And like sort of like creates you, but then you you're more or less kind of like on your own. It's, it's, it seems like a, just like a very like a very kind of like friendly, touchy feely kind of like it's like what my friend used to call shopping mart Christianity, where it's mm-hmm. like you just take what you want and you leave all the shit you don't like. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not yeah. bad in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. If yeah. the theme is basically just like don't like be a bad person. Yeah, I'm down. Uh, 
and, and again, church really is the gathering for yeah. these people. It's and more again, like a mecca situation. Everything that they're doing is in service of clown-based horror rap. So you have. To, <laughs> Thank you for yeah. reminding us. So you have to like kind of give them credit for like. Well, I mean, given that that is the milieu that they're working in, yeah, it's kind of shockingly grand that they tried to put a plot behind it. Oh yeah, like in that they were able to like maintain that thread while also having all of these like get high songs and also in like in like like a lot in like a lot of like violent lyrics but not in like a scary way more in like a WWE kind of way yeah exactly yeah and like, they are very intimately linked with professional wrestling with wrestling oh, sure. yeah yep, yep, yep. so the stage is set we have our three main players whom, whom are it's struggling in love writer Nathan Rabin yes Mondo successful jam band Fish yes and weirdo clown rappers ICP yes this is also um, Carnival of Carnage off their first album. Thank you. Um, they also, I, I just really wanted to note that they have uh, early albums and EPs called um, Smoke Dope and Do Sex Stuff, and then Go Out and Get Arrested and Commit Crimes. Those are two the, of their I album titles. My I favorite thing about Go Out and Get Arrested and Commit Crimes is like, what are, what are you getting arrested for? Is it a comment on like a like police profiling or something that you're getting arrested before you're doing the crimes? Yeah, right? yeah. Like you you only start committing crimes like when you're actually in in jail. Like yeah, you're, you're, I get, you're, right. You're innocent, and, but then like once you're inside, you begin to kind of like run the like perhaps, prostitution and cigarette racket. I have perhaps a lot of questions. The only crime is incarceration itself. Yeah. Nice, Chris. Nice way to bring that back. Thank you. So this starts with. Nathan Rabin going to a bunch of fish shows over New Year's Eve 2009. Um, he does Molly for the first time, which causes incredible paranoia in him, which I found confusing because I feel like that's not usually the fir- the primary uh, emotion I hear of people going and doing that. Um, but he gets up to go to the bathroom during the show and he remembers thinking, I really need to take a piss, but if I leave, I might never see Cadence again. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of an early indicator to the undercurrent of this yeah. book. Yes, that uh, you know, there's a, there are a lot, there's a lot of drug usage in this book, but it doesn't seem to affect him in the way that I think traditional drugs affect yeah, people. Yeah, um, I, I know that like physiologically, like if you have um, depression, which which he, he later, you know, he has like we'll, we'll get into it later, but he yeah. talks a lot about him his bipolar diagnosis. Um, if you have like issues with like uh, brain chemistry and like sort of like a lack of like serotonin or whatever the like happy naturally occurring happy chemical is when you take Molly, it basically just like tells your brain to like, f- just like dump your like surplus of those chemicals yeah. all at once. So you, you're really happy. You're that explains a lot. And so, but then what happens is because like your brain produces those chemicals at like a slower rate. And, um, it like basically like a lot of people with mental health issues, if you do Molly, will ha- will be like, they'll have like a much lo- like worse come down that will mm-hmm. last for like weeks. Yeah. Oh my God. So, which kind of like explains some of the stuff that happens later. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, totally. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, he already, it starts off with him having these like kind of uh, unconventional yes. <laughs> experiences with, you know, drug-fueled shows, right. which Fish shows are. Um, he says the band looks to him like uh, adjunct professors at a small liberal arts college, <laughs> which is sort of like a weird uh, yeah. visual uh, contrast to that. He's impressed by their cover of Boogie on Reggae Woman. Can we find the- <laughs> that was like his standout track, apparently. I, so th- this was one of the many, many songs I tried to listen to. OK, um, I, I believe I listened to the I think it's on Hampton Comes Alive. One of their many 
live albums. Whatever version I listened to, I made it through about 45 seconds. I was like, I just can't. I thought you were going to say 45 minutes and then we're only like a quarter of the way done. No, I was, it was, it was, at that point I was, I I really tired of, (laughs) of fish. Yes. Um, Yes. And it's just, yeah. Yeah. Let's let's listen. All right. This is six minutes long. That's relatively short for a fish song. And maybe that's why he likes it because it's over at a reasonable rate. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I, I love reggae, and like just hearing somebody playing like reggae bass with a pick is just like, it's, like nails chalk, it's nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. Oh, I'm a big picked bass player. No, but Such I love I, picked I, I reggae. It's, it's, a, it's a, and I don't, I don't think you know picking a bass is bad, but like, it just sounds weird for like this kind of. It all sounds like weird joke carnival music yeah like it's 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 they're not like they're not like bad musicians in the sense that they're like totally incompetent like they like they're playing the notes you know accurately yeah. like they're not like the, the, the tempos don't speed up or slow down right you know but they're like they don't have any like soul or yeah. or like groove or like groove which is really unfortunate considering that like half their songs are just like really funky like, yeah kind of. yeah yeah <laughs> I think it's, it Raven also, is right to like tie this the fandom of fish like specifically to the live experience because yeah. like I don't know if anyone is a fish fan and just like sits down and listens to it in their headphones yeah. exclusively. Yes. I yes. doubt it. And if they do, I'm sure there are fish fans out there who have like every live show expertly bootlegged, <laughs> yeah, like cataloged and they listen through to find their best tracks, but I'm sure it's all in service of remembering their own experiences at these things. Yes. Um, The other thing is that uh, it's just like, there's a kind of disconnect here that where it's like these bands uh, or it's like these musicians playing at each other Mm -hmm. (laughs) rather than like together because they're all just like constantly in a state of jamming. Yes. There's like so little cohesion in the song. And again, I'm, I'm going to try not to steal too much from Analyze Fish, but I think the best description I heard was from Tom Sharpling's episode of that, in which he uh, he talks about it being like being at a festival in which each member of the band is on a different stage at the festival, and they can <laughs> all like maybe barely hear each other, and yeah. they're trying to play along with each other, and you're standing in the middle. <laughs> yeah, they, they they have a real hard time kind of like um, locking to, into like a good groove with each other unless it's like at the very beginning of the song and they can all kind of like yeah. stick to like the one chord progression. Yes. Um, yeah, they're they're not like they're, they're not the sort of band, like I've, I'm not a huge jam band guy, but I've heard like other jam bands and they'll do stuff like you know for the solos they'll kind of like build like all of the other instruments will kind of build to a climax like and then yeah they'll kind of break it down right. a little bit you know they'll, they'll bands. Like if you if you listen to like the Almond Brothers, they do stuff like that a yeah. lot. Or they'll play like duplicate melody lines on different yeah. on different guitars. Like, and I'm sure there, I'm sure there are parts of some Fish songs where like the piano and the yeah. guitar are like playing the same thing, but mostly it sounds like it's like yeah, where like everything's playing everything at the same yeah. time. Yeah, I also don't. I don't think Trey's like the most engaging vocalist, and I'm like a no. very vocal focused. Person. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's hard to listen to a singer who isn't like a great singer and, <laughs> and also doesn't write great lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, I would say write writes yes. aggressively stupid lyrics. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He sounds uh, like a uh, a machine learning machine 
uh, made Frank Zappa songs, but also <laughs> was told to make them was told to make them G rated. <laughs> and yeah. maybe they also had some like Raffy thrown in there. Yeah, oh, I there's, love Raffy. This, it reminds me of like there's um, like Carrie Fisher, like in her memoir, she talks about um, I don't want to turn this into like an AA meeting or anything, but she talks about how like addicts like are people who can't um, they can't go like long periods of time what being unhappy like they have to be happy uh-huh. all the time for like whatever reason and it's like fish you know obviously like trey has like you know like had like a drug problem for a long time mm. and it was like all of their music it's like it's just nothing but like happy go lucky yeah, yeah. good mm-hmm. things good vibes and they never really just explore any like real dark kind of kind of things they never they never or you know like and they don't, they don't really go beyond like one shade of happy which is basically this like yeah Mid-tempo. yeah um, Bobbing back and forth, there's yeah, a beach ball it's over like my a head. Cartoon like. bus with oblong wheels that's kind of like <laughs> plodding along. <laughs> yeah, it's like that, like that keep on trucking like yeah. sticker from the yeah. '60s. It's yeah. just like those guys just kind of like walking down the street. Like, I think that's a good uh, analysis of like why yeah. jam, at least this particular jam band, doesn't have that like yeah. hook because there isn't any kind of like, progression of emotion. They're pathologically happy. Yes. yes. Yes, that's a good way. Of and, and I and actually like to give like you know because um you know I don't want to just be a hater to give Trey his credit like on their most recent I tried to listen to, like a recent studio album just to see if like things change and mm-hmm. he's writing about his family he has like the, like a song about um like uh, his sister and like remembering like his you know like when they were kids and stuff and it's mm-hmm. you know it's like it's not like the greatest album I've ever heard but like if you told me it was Wilco or something uh- <laughs> I'd be like oh yeah you know yeah, three yeah. and a half out of five. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate indictment, the three and a half out of five. Pretty, something just it's being fine. pretty good. I, I love Wilco, by the way. That's. I yeah. mean, Wilco's great. Wilco's. That's a, yeah, oh Wilco, God. we're kind of a jam band now. That's true. That's the if thing. you've seen Wilco live, they, you know, they keep the jams to like three, four minutes at the end of a song. Like they, that's, yeah. a, that's a reasonable length jam. Yeah. I just think people have their limits, as, you know, as yeah. does Nathan, mm-hmm. or rather is trying to exceed his limits. <laughs> In this, yeah. so okay, he sees he sees fish and he's like, "This is great. I feel connected to my lady. Like I can I can get into the the fish vibes, even if like things got a little weird." Then they go to the gathering the next summer, um, ostensibly for like I don't know if he was covering it. For, I assume he knew he was writing yeah. the book by this point, so he was going in a journalistic fashion, but in a in a intrigued way, right? Um, I mean, the big thing about the gathering that he goes to is that the Tila Tequila incident happens. And he's so, he, I'll set it up like this. He, earlier in the night, he sees Tom Green do a comedy set. Um, oh there's God. a lot of comedy at. at yeah. This is a comedy tent. Yeah. Was it the fresh super fresh comedy ass tent? Comedy fresh tent. ass comedy. That's the nice. way I like it. Fresh the ass. The best kind of comedy. Mm-hmm. You get that ass comedy, you get that fresh comedy. I don't like that stale, stale ass comedy. I like that, I like that new, like, yeah. new comedy ass smell. Yeah. <laughs> I just like when the comedy ass gets right in my face. Yeah. Shakes it. Anyway, he sees Tom Green, and Tom Green, like, he gets on stage and he reads the room. Mm-hmm. He basically is just yeah. like, he, like, takes a long, hard look at people, and it's like, he mentally adjusts. Yeah. And it works. Like, he, he has this set where he's kind of, like, positioning himself as this person who had everything. He had an MTV show. He fucked Drew Barrymore. It's also married, excuse me, sacredly married to Drew Barrymore. <laughs> he fucked partly, Drew Barrymore in the me- marital bed. In the marital yes. bed, the sacred marital bed. Um, and then he, yeah. and then he like got cancer and like the show ended and yeah. he kind of like lost everything he had. And so Eminem he was put able to ass on his lips. Right? Oh, yeah. No one wants that. <laughs> 
Um, the ultimate humiliation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he he was able to like read the room and get down, get on the same level as the juggalos, which is that like these are people who don't have much. The, the gathering is what they have. They look forward to the shit all year. It's their time to express their fandom and like relax and chill because they probably have like shitty blue collar jobs that they hate. Yeah. So like this is their time to blow off steam. Okay. So Tom Green has a successful set for the reason of reading the room. Tila Tequila does not have a successful set. Um, she uh, she doesn't. She's not able to adapt to their vibes. Yeah. This is the way Nathan is putting it. Yeah. That she. She doesn't read the room and she doesn't, uh, she's not able to translate her narrative in a way that <laughs> resonates with the juggalos, <laughs> which yeah. leads to her being pelted it's, by bottles of piss and shit yeah. and have her trailer knocked the, over. The, of all of the artists, all of the or musical artists like represented in this book, he holds Tila Tequila to the highest standard. Yeah. <laughs> 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 For Tila, Tila's like act, right in the middle of a cultural type that's between like the Paris Hilton prissy fancy girl type Mm -hmm. and pre Kesha switching the mold to being like trashy dirt bag but also like hot girl could be a thing yeah and Tila if I believe if that Kesha mold already existed could have found a different narrative or I would also say her analog is Cardi B yes because like like someone who came from nothing using their sexuality to get ahead. Like literally her show was about trying to like find someone, a a lady or a man. It was like super progressive at the time for being also like have a weird heterosexual eye. To be like also (laughs) extremely exploitative. Yeah. yeah. I mean, (laughs) I would honestly, I would like to give a shot of love a rewatch because I watched that when it came out and like had a certain set of opinions. And now I don't know. Although apparently she's like a, like a alt, right? Oh yeah. And she thinks the world is flat. She's a flat earther too. She's got all the things. She, she she became all the bad things. Um, yeah. So, and who knows? Um, but, Anyway, yes, she, I think she could have, she, it's not like she was inappropriate for the gathering, but the gathering saw her as inappropriate. They saw her as just the Paris Hilton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That being said, I don't think she deserves to have shit pelted at her. Yeah. But, and I mean, he, Nathan Rabin empathizes with her. He says, it was impossible not to empathize with this tiny woman confronting a crowd that seemed to hate her for reasons she couldn't possibly understand. Uh, she went down because she failed to understand the situation she was in. Unlike Green, she had fa- she had fatally misread the room, which I don't love that that yeah. reading of it. That like it, it's her own fault that she was assaulted with. Yeah, she, she was set bottles. up to be in a bad place. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it's a little like I mean, like talk about like not reading the room. Like Nathan Raven, like it's twenty it's twenty twelve, but like still, you know, it's a little little victim blamey to you know. Yeah. Uh, in any way sort of imply that like a four foot ten inch woman being pelted with garbage and like and like also like they, they like some people like chased her to her tour yes. and like almost yeah. tipped it over and it was it really over. violent it's, it's like yeah. a lot yeah I mean he makes it seem like it's just kind of this like funny thing but like it's actually like it's it's like genuinely a little bit like oh wow like if, if it had happened to an artist who was like less of a punchline then it would have you know been Is this like big news or at like a different festival yeah. Is this um, when yeah. Tila Tequila got red pilled this traumatic experience oh my god and became Maybe. yeah it might be when she turned on the working class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Um, so I, I don't know. Like uh, it. That was hard. It's hard to parse because I get what he's saying. That in order to truly, I guess, assimilate as a fan, you do need to understand yeah. the people that you're 
hanging out with. Um, but I don't necessarily know if she's the best example of like indicting her for that. Yeah. 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 Oh, well. Um, um, and at this point, so they go to the gathering, I think just for like a day. Uh, although it sounds like a jam packed day. Yeah. Uh, what is the name of the, day. what is the name of the place that it's in? Like rock in the hole? hole um, in the rock? cave in rock, cave Illinois. In rock. I think it is hole since rock, moved. Basically the same. Yeah. Yes. I think they got kicked out of there and we're having trouble finding yeah. a place in, in the general, like Southern Indiana region. They seem to periodically have trouble staying in one place for yeah, more than seem, a couple of like years. The, the, the carnival seems to move around between like Michigan, Ohio, Illinois, and Indiana. That little, the nature of a carnival. The Heartland. The Heartland. It's got a roll. Um, America. <laughs> I would like ICP's music to sell Dodge Rams. Um, I think that would be a good brand synergy. From Detroit. Yeah, I'm yeah, from Detroit. Hell yeah! That's, right? How how come they didn't get that campaign instead of Eminem? Bullshit. Yeah. Um, so at this point, the, he's done the fish. He's done the ICP, and. Raven is like something has gone off the rails. He wanted to write this book in order to get closer to his girlfriend. His girlfriend rightfully recognized it as an opportunity to like co-opt her past, which, you know, I don't think anyone's tried to do that to me, but I can't imagine it would be amazingly pleasant. And so there's, they go and see a bunch of fish shows in the summer of 2010. And he doesn't even like talk about him. He spends like half a page describing going because it sounded like he was just not like, he was not in in his what's the word right mind he he wasn't like present yeah um and he was trying to write this book and the book was not being written yeah uh and he was like i don't know what the fuck is going on so then he ends up going to see fish alone the following summer without his girlfriend that's when she gets real yeah. Um, and he like goes on tour with. Yeah, them. he like, goes on he, tour. He, he essentially becomes like embedded with the fish. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> but like not. But like what's what's interesting is that um I think that it's in some at some points he kind of does do like the weird like cultural anthropology thing and mm-hmm. kind of um separates himself from the uh, like the the fish fans or the or the juggalos in kind of like a judgy way. Yeah. But most of the time it's like he's like he like he's tra- traveling on greyhound buses. He's like buying tickets from scalpers in the parking lot yeah. sometimes, and mm-hmm. he's having like long engaged conversations with like other fans that he meets, and yeah, he gets to know yeah. some people who he sees at multiple yeah. shows mm-hmm. and makes like little tour friends, yeah, which is like apparently a thing that happens if you follow fish, like you you like make these like really intense friends for like a few hours or like a couple days, and then you like never see them again, and yeah, that's, yeah. that's okay, that's kind of the point, yeah, yeah, that's wild. Yeah, he also stays at uh, that guy's. He like hooks up with this dude for a while and then stays at his parents' house and then gets kicked out in the wee yeah. hours of the morning because the parents are like, "Why are all these people at my house?" <laughs> yeah. So like a huge bummer. Um, he, the first show that he goes when he's on tour alone is like he's basically just like I'm losing my mind. Like mm-hmm. he takes apparently really good acid, um, but like he's saying he's like I feel like. I keep falling down. Like I feel like fragile and weak. And I don't know what the fuck is wrong. Yeah, that's with one me. of the weird threads of this book. And we touched on it earlier is that he keeps taking more and more drugs, but he seems to really not enjoy drugs. Yeah. yeah. The, he seems to have a good time in spite of drugs and yeah. not because of them. Even if they do like transport him to a reality that's friendlier to the concept yeah. of like yeah. uh, I, creating community. And I think that that's like the, Real subtext is that he's like trying to dissociate, but mm-hmm. yeah, you it's really just a self-medication thing almost. You yeah. really have to, for it being a memoir. Not that I need him to write like I was taking these drugs to try to dissociate, yeah. but mm-hmm. you really have to like read in between the lines of his own self-analysis to yeah. like 
get the like. I don't think what you're saying is going on with you is really what's going on with you. Dude. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what, what what I think the mo- the most like fascinating and compelling part of the I, I find the most fascinating and compelling part of this book to be the kind of um, the fact that he's like an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like you can't really tell what's you know you know mania and what's you know drugs. Um, there are times where he sounds like very sure of something, but like. Uh, you tell it just it seems like something that like like a, like a manic or like drugged out person would say yes um and but like so you, but like you you can't really tell if he's like i guess like the, like to use like the like a to go back to like wrestling to use like a wrestling term it's like you can't tell if it's like what's kayfabe and what's not and like uh-huh. that's, that's a word that means like part of the show basically uh-huh. like, like you i can't tell if he's like being serious about or if he's like trying to like get into like the mindset that he was in or mm-hmm. if like this is just what he thinks yes and so that's kind of like Sometimes that's a little that's a little weird, but I think a lot of the time it's what makes this like compelling and interesting. It's just like that kind of yeah. Um, there's a lot more going on here beneath the surface than like your average just sort of like I followed a band around and this is what happened kind of book. And yeah. it also has more nuance than our typical artist memoir, where I think in almost all the cases it's been ghost written or co-written and it usually leads things to be boiled down to the essence of like I was drinking a lot because I like yeah. to drink or like I was drinking a lot because like uh, tours yeah. tours were really stressful and I and my bandmates and I were fighting and like we were just trying to n- avoid it yeah, I mean, as opposed to like this sort of weird stew of like dissociation and uh, like mental breakdowns but also like search for fandom and community and like intellectualism yeah. all blended together. Yeah. Uh, a lot going on. Yeah. I would say that like nine times out of 10, just like, just like as someone who, you know, had a, a drinking problem, stories by like drunks are just like, they're always the same. It's basically, I drank this much and then I did this horrible thing that I'm ashamed of. That was Duff McKagan's memoir. Yeah, like yeah. straight like up. Anthony Kiedis' memoirs like that. It's yeah. like nine times out of 10 like that. I mean, not, not to put down like, you know, addicts obviously, but like, that's just sort of what it's like. This is the, the the like the one out of ten where all of the drug use is like essential to the storytelling and mm-hmm. like to understanding the story you know just that you're reading. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I found his his acid trip at the first fish show. He goes to like kind of personally. Um, I, I it got me in the sense that like I understood his need to. Uh, connect with the scene in that way, in a way. Yeah. Um, there where, is something honest about, like, if I'm really going to engage in this thing that I'm doing, then I should go all in. But the yeah. amount to which he keeps deciding, he's like, well, I can't just go to a fish show. I need to go to an entire summer of fish shows, and I need to fully partake in the yeah. entire thing, every show, yeah. for 15 weeks straight, where you're like, okay, buddy, I think yeah. there's something else going on here. He says, um, LSD and fish shows each traffic in the gorgeous, if unfeasible, belief that we are all united in some strange existential sense, that we're all passengers in the same great cosmic journey. The world took on a radiant glow. The woods and the concert and the road and the LSD were letting me know that while I contain darkness and peril, I also contain joy and light. Like, that's a... Oh, I well, put that down. Fish could do that. Yeah, <laughs> right? That's a thing. <laughs> and I'm sure, like, it, it is for some people, but he's got to, like, kind of, like, literally break his brain in order to experience that yeah. crazy spiritual state. I think he also, he's, like, he has, like, an idea of what, um, like, a good trip is supposed to be. Like, mm-hmm. like it seems like he's he's taking, like, a very, um, like, I don't know, like, what his, like, history of, of doing drugs is, but, like, 
it seems like he's taking like a very kind of like I've only you know read about this stuff in like other books about musicians. Yes. You know, so this is what like being on acid will be like, and then he just gets a completely different yes. thing, and he's like, but he he's convinced that this like idea of like the perfect like trip at a show is still out there and he keeps going for it. And it's you know, because he witnesses in, in other people, like in right, other yeah, fish right. fans, like the golden child that he hangs out with for a golden while, child. the golden <laughs> child. Um, <laughs> what a perfect like foil for him. Also, I wrote down the note, uh, that during the show, a handsome young man in his mid-twenties tapped me on the shoulder. Dude, I don't know why, but there's this big empty space right behind you. I'm going to dance in it. I confess that in my narcissistic, grandiose delirium, I looked back at the empty circle behind me and thought that I had fallen into such a dark place mentally that my negative energy had manifested itself physically as a meteor of blackness. There was something beautiful about the idea of an exuberant stranger dancing madly in it. Oh. <laughs> there's a lot going on here. Yes, he needs a hug. Yeah. He needs yeah. a hug, and that's, I hope he got that's, that's, a few. That's, it's really, yeah, that's like the that's like the, the stuff that like really gets you, you know. It's like, yeah. oh, poor guy. Yeah. And but then again, and like, he's alone too. Yeah. Yes. Which, although, which is I kind of preferred because, like, when when Cadence kind of like comes into the picture, things get a little weird and uncomfortable. Yes. Um, right. Right. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's like there that like there's there's anything like egregiously problematic about you know about like their relationship but there I think that he does like this thing annoying thing as a writer where he kind of ascribes certain thoughts and characteristics to yes. Cadence that she doesn't uh, personally express herself yes. but she has like almost no dialogue basically yes and and like it's like a lot of like reading into and, and like that kind of parallels what he's trying to do by like with this weird if I understand fish then I can like be a part of her youth that I never got to experience thing but it's also it's just it's just like kind of creepy and weird and For annoying. Yes, the guy who literally coined yes, this here we go, <laughs> manic pixie dream girl. He seems to have built one into his own yes. life. <laughs> and I'm not sure if it's like a thing that he's trying to do in this book as like a literary technique. Like that part, it's so extreme. Yeah. So how much that is the archetype, and it's so much a thing of his life yes. and career that it's it's like. Is it really that big of a blind spot? But these like total manic swings in him, yeah. Between him being with her, and you know, kind of confused and depressive, and away from her in these like high pitched, high pitched depressive episodes, like mm-hmm. pining for her, it's just very strange. And again, yeah, yeah, as you said, she has like very, she's like idolized, but also like kind of empty in the yeah. storytelling. That's like, like the one big flaw of the, this book. The thing that that sort of really kind of like bugs me like the most was that they're like when they're at the they go they go back to the gathering of the juggle and both times uh at the gathering there's like a, a tradition of basically of like girls flashing the guys and guys being like show me your tits show me your and tits. like what and it's like and it's like you know it's um i mean i can we can get more into like the, the politics of that but like it's, it's the most, it seems seems like for the most part kind of harmless fun but then like there are these guys who keep on keep on like walking up to his girlfriend and saying show me your tits like with him, like clearly, like they're clearly like a couple and stuff. Yeah. And he just sort of like he doesn't say like write about what she says. He doesn't he doesn't like write about like what his reply is. It's just like he just mentions it and then kind of moves on immediately to the next thing. Yes. And it's like, huh? You know, I'd at least want if like if she's truly not bothered by it, why doesn't she say so? Right. Yeah. Are you offended? Like, Are you, you like know. just whatever? Because like about if, it. if if I was at like I mean I. I I, I doubt my girlfriend would go to the gathering of the Juggalos, but if because she doesn't want to be asked to show her tits every two minutes. Yeah, but like if we were at like a con- if we were at like a concert and, and somebody yelled said like show me your tits on my girlfriend, like I wouldn't like kick his ass or anything, but I'd be like, hey man, like you know, like 
calm down. <laughs> like, just like make contact and be like, no, we're cool. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, like, no thanks. Like, there, there's the moment where. Or I'm, just let her talk to him. Yeah. Right. There's a moment at that yeah. ga- the second gathering that they go to where uh, a guy kind of approaches them and it seems like he's maybe trying to hit on her and he's like, are you guys, you know, and like does the like uh, <laughs> vulgar hand gesture to yeah. impl- in, in imply that they're fucking and then he says like oh that's good like i guess she has boobs and stuff so like that's good like she, and you just never hear yeah. her reaction to any yeah. of this i want to know i just i honestly want to know i want to yeah. know what yeah. it feels like to have like the subtext of being objectified and harassed all the time like subtly harassed all the time become just text yeah, and, and, and i would i would say that like the that like as a whole like the juggalos seem like a lot more progressive than kind of and like that's a big part of the book is sort of like talking about their like the politics of of like ICP and the Juggalos and how it's a lot more anti-fascist, anti-racist than mm-hmm. you'd think. But, um, yes. but like, I would say that, like, there's, um, I guess, like, oh, to back up a little bit, like, um, in the, this, like, pod, there's, like, there's, like, a really good podcast out there about Charles Manson, and it describes, like, the environment in Haight-Ashbury, and it says there were a lot of, there's a lot of, like, really good-natured sort of, like, sexual freedom, but there were also a lot of, like, guys who exploited that, yes. like Charles Manson. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's where he, he he met like a lot of the original Manson girls in San Francisco. What, mm-hmm. what podcast? We name names. Oh, um, it's it's <laughs> you must remember this. Uh, I, yeah, ironically enough. I but like what, what I'm trying that is great. yeah what I'm trying to say is that like there are like that there's sometimes like there's like a really like blurry line between like what's like you know sexual liberation and what's like sexual exploitation right. and like there's that's like the one area that I feel like doesn't really get like a good enough kind of. Uh, yeah, it seems in yeah. the discussion of these yeah. that it is like very of the gathering in the juggler community is that a more part is the majority and the majority is like more innocent and uh, yeah. family ish and about creating community. But, you know, yeah. that there is a very dark, un- like undercurrent there yeah. that yeah. is not quite at, examined. At the very least, you know, like. Should should be sort of should be looked into yeah. and stuff. Yes, and you can't and and where that could not exist if it weren't for the wild permissiveness of the over culture there. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, we don't really get much about that. Uh, let's move forward in the uh, yeah. in the narrative. Okay, so he has this summer of being alone on the fish tour. Um, there's you know hits of nitrous in a in the the lot in the fish uh marketplace as it were some, um, some light pre-show whippets some gr- long gray greyhound bus rides where he witnesses like other people's sort of broken lives intertwining uh very romantic and then there's an accident where he drinks this is this dates it more than any other yeah. um uh, kind else. of cultural <laughs> atmospheric thing is like he gets too fucked up on four loco and he trips and cracks his head the, open. The origi- Same. original recipe for loco. The, oh, yes, the OG. Yeah. Um, which is just oh like God. it's Those so uh, yeah. it's so 2010 that it like I just I just got a little headache like thinking yes. about it. Oh my God! It was that was the. I yeah. remember when when four loco came out. I remember when they got rid of it. I knew a guy who, <laughs> when he found out they were getting rid of it, he drove, he had his friend drive a hundred miles to buy $700 stockpile. worth. Yeah. Oh, we have some friends yeah. who are four loco stockpilers. You yeah. do? Yeah. Morgan, I believe, has stockpiled four loco. Still has some? He yeah. might. That's the equivalent of like, you know, when you save a bottle of wine from your wedding day. Yes. And yeah. then you have it like five years later or something. I feel like that's going to be. Loco. 
Yeah, at Morgan's yeah. wedding we drank juice, which juice. is the juice. Um, I remember juice. It's the like I love juice. The the cousin, the of, cousin. Yes. Of yeah, Loco. I think juice actually might have hit the market first. Yeah, I think it did. But Four Loco hit the market. Well, it had the better branding. <laughs> you know, it said what you were getting into yeah. on the on the front of it. Four Loco was the yeah. most populist uh, alcohol for a while, and yeah. that everyone yeah. was on the same level, literally on their hands and knees vomiting on the yes, floor. Yes, yes, yes. Um, anyway, so yeah, that that's the sort of climax of his tour is uh, him getting injured uh, grievously, and while he only has four, I shouldn't say he only has one Four Loco because one lo- one Four Loco is still four yeah. Locos. Yes, <laughs> that's, I think that's the the implication of the of the the title. Um, and he still goes to the show anyway that night. He could go to the hospital and he goes to the fish show instead. Which champ? He's, yeah. a, re- he's a real so yeah. bleeding profusely. Yes, just like so many hippies being like, "You you okay, man?" And you're like, "Fine, fine, don't worry." Okay, really. You want to ride to the whoa. hospital? Um, so he comes home from that summer. Also, the wildest thing, speaking of his relationship to Cadence, is that <laughs> he doesn't mention until the end that he's, like, barely calling her. Yeah. And Maya, like, he has not basically talked to her all during the summer. She, she thinks that he's about to break up with her, Yes, basically. which I'm just like, oh, girl, I feel for you. And like, he's doing this for her, ostensibly. Yeah. And yet, like, oh, my God. I read that, and I was like, you're kidding? You, you didn't... He says there's no way that he can put his experiences into words, yeah. which is why the book didn't get written until when it got written. Um, but I was like, holy shit. So, yes, he he comes home from the tour. He meets with his therapist. He describes his mental state. And his therapist is like, that sounds like you are bipolar. And he's like, what? You mean having these wild what? swings between emotional states while being like a vaguely detached hallucinatory mood for nine months straight could signify bipolar disorder? Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I wasn't. To self-diagnose. Uh, and uh, we're only getting this in the, in the clarity of retrospection. But it's like yeah. re- when you read through it, you're like. And there's actually a part where he says, um, like, was I really bipolar? I don't know. And it's like, yes, we do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. He, he says that like not that far afterwards. And I'm like, I I think I'm pretty sure just like based on the evidence given and your literal professional therapist telling you that she thinks you're bipolar. It's not like there's like a blood test. You know what I mean? Like, I think we're pretty, we're pretty sad on that. And again, to be clear. We're on your side, Nathan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you weave a pretty compelling case against yourself. You have the whole, you got the whole book written. Yeah. We read the book. Um, yeah. So she, and his, his therapist said that um, her colleagues joked that there were two kinds of bipolar disorder. There was the kind that gets you promoted and the kind that gets you arrested. Oh my gosh. And I feel like he has just spent a summer with both of those <laughs> types of people. Yeah. I mean, he gets the book. Because uh, that's fish, right? Yeah, like yeah. you get, you have these like you know venture capital interns who take you know their two weeks off a year to go see fish, and then there's people whose entire lives are fish. Mm-hmm. Um, not to mm-hmm. equate fandom with like a you know mental uh, state, but it's that's well, kind of the we. I will say Nickelback. That, am I right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will say like that. We can talk maybe broader on fandoms in general, but there is like a kind of hyper-performative identity-based fandom. And I mean identity-based in the sense that, like, people who are compelled to make their fandom of something the linchpin of their identity that... Our band could be your life. uh, Yeah, that (laughs) verges, I think, often on to towards some kind of, like, mental illness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially in, like, deeper, deeper, like, 
hardcore obsessive fandom cultures mm-hmm. um, that, uh, you know, and this is like a very broad generalization that in almost every individual example would be proven wrong. But, but, you know, it, if, if your entire identity becomes based off of your fandom of like one thing, I think that it is indicative of a larger personality problem. Yeah. And also, and also uh, capitalism not providing us with yes. anything beyond consumer culture for <laughs> yes. us. Yes, yes yep. exactly. Yeah. You thought you thought I was uh, I was gonna I was gonna keep the Marxist shit hidden. Nope. No. We, we coming at the end. <laughs> we are uh, we are um, craving signifiers that actually mean something, and often yeah. all that the can provide those is uh, yeah, things that we can buy. Yeah, and there's like um, it's like anything. I mean, it's like um. It's like uh, falling in love, you know. Like there, you know, you can fall in love in like a like a healthy, you know, tempered way, tempered way, where you you know you're, you even if you spend a ton of time with somebody, you know, like you you know, it's 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 all great. And then there's like you know, like every breath you take, sting, kind of <laughs> <laughs> bad and, love. And yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I don't know the. It's it's interesting that he has interacted with people that are both like the band is the life and people who are just recreational users Mm -hmm. in a way. Yes. Um, anyway, uh, also I, I think I forgot to say that the reason that he, he's identifying more with the promotion type of, uh, bipolar disorder is that he was like, he's writing this book. He was still writing for the AV club and he was also writing a book for weird Al Oh yes, oh. Weird Al like DM'd him. Weird Al slid into the DMs, which is like that's a hot day. Um, when whenever that happens, Weird Al, I love you. Uh, <laughs> uh, be my daddy. Good, whoop, whoop. good old uh, whoop. Weird Albert, <laughs> <laughs> the weirdest Albert of them all. Um, so like he's just he's doing a lot. He's like both immersing himself in this festival concert world, and then also trying to hold down an actual job slash jobs slash have a relationship, even though that seems to have fallen by the wayside that particular summer. Um, it's got a lot going on. It's, yeah. it's hard. The Google cow gets filled up <laughs> real quick. Anyway. Um, so he reunites with cadence and they go to super ball nine, nine, nine. I'm not very good at Roman numerals. They didn't cover that in my so, liberal arts education. IX. IX is nine. Um, my, so, my dad was a Latin teacher. Bam. Sorry, uh, I just wanted to take one second to listen to some Weird Al. He did a Franz Ferdinand? No, this is his uh, Polka-Rama. Every album he does a polka medley oh, this is of like a, slate, a slate of uh, recent pop songs, and they are invariably amazing. This is fantastic. Yeah. Have you never heard any of these, Molly? No. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, one of those, I'm gonna like, play so many of these for you later. Great. Yeah, one of those was like all of the like the rap metal songs. Yeah, the one from the late '90s is a real it's classic. Like, this kid, Nookie. Um, this is Poka Power. Uh, this was the one that I really loved. Now. I'm sorry. Imagine writing, trying to write a book about fish and ICP, but also having this in the mix. Yeah. That would hurt my yeah. psyche. Yeah. I mean, you gotta... <laughs> I would need a lot of therapy after. Yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the midst of being told that you were suffering a mental breakdown where you're like, okay, great, let me go write a book about this joke poke artist. <laughs> 
where Al just opens the door. I mean, Al seems like a really, really wonderful guy, but just opening the door every day in like a baggy Hawaiian shirt being like, hey guy, what's up? Ready to write and cut, cut through more of my archival material about polkas I did on the Dr. Demento show in 1984? And you're like, <laughs> yeah, I, guess I, I guess I am Al. I have heard that Weird Al is the, the most gracious man in show yeah. business. Oh yes. my God. He's by far like just a great guy. Wow. Yeah. To live this way. <laughs> I don't anyway, know. I love this one. Just, oh. Wow. These are all real jams. Anyway, that's a little weird. Do they have any of these in the karaoke books? Uh, in no, but that, our I don't think K-Town so. Haunts? Because yeah, that would be good. That sounds like the ultimate challenge. Um, woof. So they go to Super Bowl Nine, which, by the way, in looking into this book and. Uh, researching, I was like, well, what's the next fish festival? Surely it's Super Bowl 10. No, um, that's not how it works. I think the next one is like, uh, hold on, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to look this up. Fish. So each individual, like, notable show it, that they play, they have an entirely different name for. Yeah, it has nothing to do with, the number has nothing to do with it. Um, oh, wow. Uh Magnaball was their next festival. And by the way, this is a fish festival. It's only fish. There is zero, zero other bands as far as I know. Um, and then Curveball will be taking place this summer. Ooh. In uh, late, now. late August. Yeah. <laughs> the t- tickets are on sale Friday. Any, any We're fish heads? I yes. swear. Maybe we should. Um, fish. Throw some dinero. <laughs> that's a, you can find it, uh, tickets at a fish.com. I'm pretty sure. I assume that's their domain. Fish, fish dot, fish dot fish. Yeah. Fish dot jam. F P H I dot S H. Scandinavia. Anyway, they fish, go to fish dot com. Indeed, uh, opens with a large advertisement for Curveball, Curveball. August seventeenth through nineteenth, twenty eighteen. Watkins, Watkins Glen, New York. Fab. Watkins Glen. Watkins Glen. Um, so yeah, they they reunite uh, Cadence and Nathan for Super Bowl nine. Um, and then they also go to the gathering in 2011. He notices the media presence is way up um, because I feel like since he first started writing about them, they kind of broke into this. I think the Tila Tequila thing yeah. really was like the intersection of a media, even like a D-list media personality that most mainstream people knew and like a cult entertainment thing that people were aware of but didn't realize was like quite a thing. There was also that same time of year if you guys remember like the first viral gathering of the juggalos yeah um, the, the infomercial yeah yeah infomercials yes. yeah um one of my uh so a, a next girlfriend of mine that i'm still friendly with um <laughs> <laughs> glad you clarified <laughs> um she like uh she was the first person to show me that and there are there's like a, a couple of them and they are they are must see TV. We spent an entire mm-hmm. night recently watching a bunch of these. All like we actually after we recorded with Joel Sedensky for our Eminem episode, we then proceeded to spend another half an hour watching <laughs> uh, gathering infomercials. All right, here let's see this. Infamous gathering of the Juggalos. The gathering features over 100 rap and rock groups, as well as comedians, sideshows, contests, games, seminars, signings, parties, seminars, art, and much, much more. <laughs> What are the seminars at the Gathering of the Juggalos? The Tao the of the Juggalos. The, a theological um, examination, explanation of the Dark Carnival, uh, <laughs> face painting, techniques and improvements. Mm-hmm. If, if uh, I, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, 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 keep going. I was just saying, if I recall correctly, it's, ba- it's basically like the, the seminars that, that get written about are 
Violent J apologize and explaining why they're pushing back the release date of something they've promised to do but can't. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so the other thing about this is that these uh, these gatherings videos are always hosted by, like, uh, uh, personalities. Yeah. Various insane clown posse personalities. Yes. And uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the girl. The scarecrow himself, Boondocks. This girl. Uh, who, one of the things about her is that her style is exactly the style of Harley Quinn from the 2016 <laughs> uh, yeah. suit. 17 Suicide Squad. Like, as much as that is, like, a current aesthetic, it is completely ripped off from her. (laughs) Juggalos must have hated Suicide Squad. Yeah, they must have felt like their entire thing. Okay, wait, wait, wait. I gotta look at her name. And I'm Sweet Sugar Slam up in this bitch. Sweet Sugar Slam. Sweet Sugar Slam. Is up in this bitch her last name, or is it, or is it like a title? Her name, her last name is Slam. First name Sugar. Uh, Sugar Slam is a fashion icon because her entire thing became is like the prototype for current Harley Quinn. Yeah, and I think that she's not recognized because that look now is disseminated, and you see like tweens wearing those daddy little monster shirts and stuff. Like that is an iconic fashion style that 100% originates from, like, this kind of community that yes. was, like, totally co-opted and then mainstreamerized yeah. um, through uh, through uh, 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 Suicide Squad. I would so also anyway, just like to yeah, say that Sugar, Sugar Slam, Slam is, uh, is Violent J's, the mother of his children. Yes. So, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. that's. Oh. I, I was like, oh, I heard oh, her name. A, I was a, like, a, oh, I, that's the woman who introduced Teela Tequila's set. They're, they're no like, longer together, but they're... This the family. <laughs> yeah. They're no longer together, but they're amicably separated, yeah, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yes. Oh. I just found a Google image search there, and there is like a, a there's an adorable family photo. Aww. Um, although I wish that the kids were in clown makeup, just yeah. so it would be like that children's hospital. So anyway, they, they uh, don't they don't get their clown makeup until they've uh, yeah. gone on a, a, a spirit quest. I there assume. is there is a video where, by Violent J's son. Uh, his name's Violent JJ. Sure, and it's like it's like just like clips of him like wrestling his dad and like the juggalo wrestling thing. Yeah. And, at one point, he's like, he's like, he says like this girl's name, and he's like, she's my sister. And he's like, shout out his sister and stuff. It's it's, it's an adorable song and video. Aww. Anyway, I just want to go uh, on the record to say, uh, mad respect to Sugar Slam. Yeah, yeah, sweet, sweet, su- sweet, sugar, sweet slam. sugar Slam. Sweet Sugar in, in this rock. bitch. Sweet Sugar in the Rock. <laughs> um, Cave in the Rock. Ah, it all comes back. Yeah. <laughs> The um the standout performance at the the second gathering they go to is Ice Cube doing It Was a Good Day, um, which Rabin says is the it's about the ephemeral nature of happiness. It implicitly <laughs> says that happiness never lasts, but every once in a while you can grab a few isolated moments of peace and contentment between the bullshit. What Juggalo can't relate to that? Yeah. Um, also fascinating that Ice Cube went from gathering to sub-headline of Coachella in, like, three years. Wait, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. He's a versatile dude. I mean, he had, I guess he had to make his slow comeback from just doing family films. (laughs) 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 His slow re-entry into the music business. Yeah, 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 yeah. You gotta pay your dues. Yeah, pay your dues. They referenced um, Hannibal Burris as, like, uh, like, 
opening for Tom Green, essentially. <laughs> like, he was still, like, a kind of hot shit back in the day, but, like, you have to pay your dues at the gathering, which yeah. means he played at, like, 3 p.m. instead of 3 a.m. <laughs> um, also, set times seem incredibly skewed, like, every yeah. at this place. Like, everyone seems to be playing at, like, 4 Imagine in the morning. Imagine being the event manager of <laughs> Gathering of the Juggalos. I want to shake this person's hand. Yeah. It's probably... I mean this in, like, the highest possible way. It's probably, like, a high school dropout who in a very unorthodox way is extremely competent at managing like 10,000 absolute maniacs and people who have a one in 10 chance of picking (laughs) up a phone anytime you call them and somehow puts on this crazy festival of all these like weirdos. Yeah. Uh, I, whoever it is, I'm sure they're there. I have much respect for them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of imagine just like some guy showing Violent J, like, Google Drive for the first yes, time. Yes. And be like, look, I wrote down all the things we need to do. And Violent J would be like, shit, man. You can, you so can also things. contribute. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many things you got to do. Yeah. It automatically saves when you update it. And you can share it with whoever you want. Google Docs are amazing. Um, oh, my God. The, the gathering planning Google Doc. <laughs> he, they're Slack. Yeah, yeah. Slack. <laughs> The gathering slack. Yeah, the St. Cloud Posse slack. Amazing. Um, he he has a good, like, kind of wrap-up slash description of the Juggalo family yeah. uh, at the end of this gathering where he says, people don't become Juggalos because they come from intact nuclear families. They become Juggalos because they come from broken homes. They become Juggalos because they dropped out of school and have nothing else to do. They become Juggalos because it's a hell of a lot more fun to think about a fantastical dark carnival than it is to think about your job in the service industry. They become Juggalos because something is missing in their lives. To outsiders, Insane Clown, Clown Posse is a group that offers the world nothing. Um, but to latchkey kids from broken homes, they offer the promise of family. To the lonely, shy, awkward, self-conscious, and or morbidly obese, they offer the promise of instant friendship with a confederacy of like-minded souls. For those seeking spiritual guidance, they even have their own scripture and moral code in the form of the dark carnival <laughs> mythology. They give hope to scrubs the world over. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. It is, a, yeah. it is beautiful. I mean, I think a lot of people have recognized, like, since, since Raven wrote about them, since they came into the prominence, the, like, weirdly necessary and non-present existence of like weird hyper-specific but positive communities that aren't churches you know Mm -hmm. that don't have like the conformity of churches and there is a weird conformity of like painting your face like a clown but it's more they can paint their face any kind of clown they want but but it's also more like uh your willful removal from from the rest of the bullshit you know yeah yes taking this step to say that you're separate. Yep. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say that, like, um, just, you know, as someone who, like, uh, like grew up going to punk shows and, like, you know, since I've moved to, moved to Brooklyn, like, I occasionally I'll, I'll see, see a show and stuff. Like, the, the Juggalo community sounds, like, much more gathering than... Gathering? The Juggalo community sounds much more, like, welcoming mm-hmm. than... And, like, also, the, to, to an extent, the Fish community, than a lot of the, like more, like, quote-unquote, serious sort of music scenes that I've experienced. Yeah, like, there's totally. Like a, there's, like, a thing where, I mean, maybe it's, like, a it's like a class thing because it's, it's, you know, a lot of the people at, like, Brooklyn Indie Rock shows are people like me where they're, like, fallen Connecticut kids and stuff. And <laughs> they, can, like all, they can afford to live in Brooklyn, which yeah. automatically, like, exactly. excludes it, a certain... It, it, you know, and it's, it's a very, very much like a... Um, no one really like you don't you don't start conversations with like people you don't know. Yeah, absolutely um, not. You know you kind of like keep to yourself. Like you, you know you like the waiting in line for the bathroom is just agony at those shows. Yeah, yeah. And no one's <laughs> like having any fun really. Yeah. Um. But 
juggalos and, and fish heads, like they'll they'll give you drugs within like five seconds of meeting you. Like they're they'll <laughs> I think it, in a <laughs> really way, it also helps yeah. that it's, yeah. like, very monolithic, that it's, like, the one band. Yeah. So you're not, like, doing, like, scene comparisons of, like, oh, I'm at this show, but mm-hmm. this isn't really the cool show or whatever. Yeah. This isn't a cool band. It's, like, you're there because you're there in service of, like, the one thing. Mm-hmm. I think that helps, like, level everything. It's, like, we're all here because we're fans of this one thing. Yeah. And, like, yeah. the, the Juggalos do kind of have, like, um, or the ICP, like, because they have like psychopathic records, they're yeah, yeah. they have like a bunch of they have like this sort of like roster of like these kind of it's almost like an expanded universe kind of thing yeah um, <laughs> where it's like they're kind of like the jugglers are kind of like what's canon but then or the ICP is like what's what's canon for like juggalo culture but then all these other artists kind of like are doing they're like you know you're you're you know. twisteds you're blazes the dead homie. <laughs> Oh, uh, any anybody killer? That's my favorite. Yeah, anybody killer? Who am I gonna kill? <laughs> Fucking anybody, man. I am an anybody killer. Yeah. Anybody killer. <laughs> um, so we... But the thing is, anybody killer is probably, like, the nicest dude ever. He's just happy to get up there and, and yeah. kill anybody. <laughs> really, anybody. He, you know, he means it in, like, a, a metaphysical sense. He doesn't sense. discriminate like, in his killing. He He's, just wants to slay, I'm, you know? I'm gonna... I, I, oh, I just wanted to get this, because we've been listening in the background to Juggalo yeah. Homies. But it... Maybe you heard a little bit. I guess we're in the... the fucker breakdown at the yeah, end but you know it, it's this is a very like late 90s sublimish song just about having friends with with your other fellow yeah. juggalos here we go i do think you are correct in the assessment that like there is a dearth of music scenes in yeah. which people are trying to connect with each other with strangers yeah it's the whole like bowling alone thing yeah yeah Robert, Robert, Robert Putnam is that that guy's name? I think so. Okay. If I'm um, wrong, don't don't tell me. Was... <laughs> anyway, so we're at the end of of this narrative, and we kind of did a big of the top down overall stuff in the middle, uh, where we were looking at yeah. like what makes sense, what doesn't make sense uh, from this. But uh, do you have anything left, Molly? I got nothing left except for uh, Nathan proposing to his lady before a fish show uh, in Chicago, and her saying yes. And they rode off into the sunset, aka they just hit hit the lot before yeah. the big the big fish <laughs> yeah. concert, and that's how this ends. Yeah, and I gotta say, like, uh, like, um, you know, he like we we can we can have like our qualms about how he writes about Cadence, but it does in like how like he kind of treats her in the the like the darkest like part of his depression, but like mm-hmm. you know, it seems like they have like an actually like really good like genuinely good relationship, yeah. and they're you know at the in like the, at the epilogue of the book he talks about like. Um, I don't know if it was in your edition. It was, I got it on mm. the Kindle, but um, uh, like he, they, they, you know, he, they get married and he like thanks her and stuff. I think you know, as far yeah. as they're still married and um, yeah. So it's like it's, it's got a happy ending, guys. Yeah, it like, does have yeah. a happy ending. Um, yeah, and I will say this book took took him several years to write. Mm-hmm. Between which, partially due to like the Tila Tequila thing and like the ICP thing, the thing that he set out to document went from like very fringe to like fairly well. Known? Yeah. Uh, but I will say that one of the things that I think is impressive about this is, like, very much identifying a um, a thing that was at a center of some kind of current of pop culture and, like, being able to say that this is an imp- – uh, notice these things and be like, this is an important thing to, like, investigate yes. right now. Because they do both, you know, in the retrospect of the last few years of our lives, they, they – I both identify these like kind of senses of these dislocated communities 
that need some kind of outside force to impose a community among each other and find that kind of thing in a way that is not provided otherwise, albeit in these like incredibly bizarre, again, I can't stress enough, Face painted clown based murder rap. I don't know what you're saying. White, that sounds white totally person murder rap. Yeah, like it's such <laughs> a, a, a unlikely thing to build this kind of community around, and yet it does because there's a need for it. It, yeah. it can because it it must. Uh, and I, I think that that's one of the brilliant things about this book and Raven in general is like being able to, e- even if like maybe throughout it he loses the thread a little bit. Uh, Although he's always very on top of staying with that community aspect of both of these, that yeah. that, that that part mm-hmm. of both these bands is both why they are widely mocked and also why they are so essential for their adherence. Yeah. I would also like to personally predict that we are in an era right now that is going to have a lot of cult activity. Yes. I <laughs> think we are this. we are ripe for like a cult resurgence. With it's the, probably already happening. It's, it's, right yes, already without happening. even knowing it until yeah. some sort of news event happens. And I feel like this is, as weird as it is, the flip side of that, where you can have your community, your communal IRL experiences in the vast fucking universe of commenting on shit online, which is horrible, and I hate doing it. Like, <laughs> these are people who are seeking out personal, face-to-face, large crowd experiences. Yeah. And it's like, even though there's some unhealthy shit going on, some pent up rage and aggression and uh, bad, bad outfits, I assume uh, there's it's also it's using like the cult desire and transmuting it into something that's more way more palatable than, you know, mass mass suicide. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mass suicide. Bad. It's bad. F minus. Gooballs. I think we give it yeah, a six, six thumbs down. I mean, Gooballs sound pretty pretty great with a like reasonable so, level so of uh, THC. Like you know, you get your grains, your your healthy fats. Yeah. Um, maybe it's some fuel, adaptogens yeah, yeah, in there. Yeah. yeah some some maybe ashwagandha. Maybe throw in some like various uh, you know supplements. Power. Yeah. 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 So a little protein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get that pump. Some, some whey. <laughs> some whey. <laughs> Um, is, there, is there anything else we'd like to add to this? We made it this far without talking about fucking magnets. Fucking magnets. Yeah. How oh, do I'm so they work? Proud. Yes. Uh, that song is very funny. Uh, I think it's there's a great really song. really to say about it. It's just some things are just great and you can just, they can just be great. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember that, that getting passed around, I think it was in college, when it came out and just people like kind of mm-hmm. laughing at it, but also being like, this is just kind of good. Like, just a good... <laughs> It's a good experience to watch. And again, uh, again, there also aren't that many secular pop songs about the examining and appreciating the mysteries of the universe. (laughs) So in that way, I mean, this is something like, I guess, okay, this is, I guess what I want to, I'd, I'd end with. Um, There's this really like, I mean, like they're not perfect guys, you know, like they're, you know, they're, they're definitely a little rough around the edges and, um, but there, uh, there's something like violent, particularly violent J. Um, it's okay. There's something about like violent J where he has this very, almost like, I don't want to say childlike cause it sounds, that's a little condescending, but he's a very, very like simple understanding of the world that works perfectly for him. Like he yeah, talks yeah. about mm-hmm. getting depressed and his cure for his depression is literally it's walking. walking. He goes, he goes yeah. on a nice long walk and it clears his head. 
Yeah. And like, I actually, you know, like when, you know, you know, if I've, I've you know, I'm basically fine, but you know, I, I have depression things here and there. And one of the things that actually was, was really good for me was walking. Mm-hmm. And I had forgotten until I reread this, I had forgotten where I'd got that. So thank you, oh Violet J for your uh, delightful bit of um, like behavioral cognitive therapy. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> like, but like there's, but like in regards to like miracles and, and just sort of how they like sort of, you know, regard their fans. Like they actually, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're a great example of how people can can have like a really like can that can be like not intellectual or not you know sort of like traditionally intelligent but can have like an outrageously high like emotional intelligence and kind of right appreciation of uh yeah. you know how other people feel and like ability to empathize with them and that's what yeah. and like for a bunch of again for a bunch of murdering clowns yeah these guys are are, are really just like you know they're they're, they're, they're good for the kids and they're genuine they're deep yeah yeah also. I feel like, especially, you know, I work at, like, a health and wellness website, and I, increasingly, it seems like the idea of wellness is something that you have to buy, yeah. um, and that you have to be affluent in order to uh, have and purchase, um, but the idea that the appreciation of the the sublime <laughs> in ICP's music, yeah. like, gives me hope that there's, like, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, that shit is accessible to everybody. Yeah. And you don't have to also have, like, a weird dark acid trip going to fish shows either to do it. Yeah. Um, you just have to enjoy it's there. weird electric circus music for yeah. seven and a half hours. Yeah. Uh, With occasional bathroom breaks. Okay. At least one. But make sure you schedule it in the set list. Yeah. Ah. Uh, Boy. Ben. Guys, this has been real. This has been real. Thank you for thank you for sharing your your wisdom and experiences and whatever. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that I don't say on Twitter like you know, once every once every other day. At Pasta Ben. At Pasta Ben. At underscore. Pasta ben. There's an underscore there. At Pasta underscore Twi- ben. Twitter's original pasta enthusiast. I have um a play coming up, by the way. I'm just yes, gonna, I was just, just about to ask you what I'm you just want to jump plug, the gun plug your shit. Plug my, my stuff. Plug your shit. Um, I'm, I have a play called Spoons. It's about a professional cuddler and one of her clients. It's, it's April 24th to the 26th at The Tank, uh, 312 West 36th Street in Manhattan. Um, basically, just follow, like, Stay tuned on, on Twitter for, like, our fundraising drive and where you can get tickets and stuff. But, uh, yeah, come check it out. Give your money to Ben. I'm the only player, Mar- Marxist playwright in Brooklyn. Yeah. Like, it's, it's me or, or nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, That's... It's, it's either support him or the SpongeBob musical. Those are your choices. Although I've actually heard that it's, it's phenomenal. Yes, I have as well. <laughs> but are the pants square? Uh, Are they? How, mu- how much top Broadway costuming technology went into making some <laughs> square pants? Poor handsome twenty somethings singing phenoms pants square. I don't know when when I w- had to play a salt shaker in Beauty and the Beast. I just wore a, a hamper um, with covered in lame. So I don't think it can be that hard. I had yeah. square edges. I just I just imagine Guys, just it's like easy. A, you know, like, like the in theater they call it the costume parade when everyone yeah, yeah. comes out and like. They wear their like their sort of like model costume for the director. Just imagining like Booker Sharkton <laughs> getting me like the pants. They're not square enough. <laughs> so ruined. Sharper edges. <laughs> we need to be able to see those ninety degree angles from the from the third balcony. Uh, but Mr. Director, sir, it kind of kind of cuts my junk when it's then really You know square. what you were getting into when you signed up for this. <laughs> you will bleed for your art. <laughs> Some razor sharp angles and these square pants are necessary for my vision. Um, 
So, what do I have to plug? Uh, nothing. I guess uh, listen to the Chavo Trap House podcast. Yeah, listen to Chavo Trap House. It's fun. Yeah, it's a fun show. It's a fun show. It was fun. Um, it's it's alternately a uh, a fun show for bad boys or a bad show for bad people. I thought you were going to say a bad show for fun people. Yeah. yeah. Bad show for fun people or a fun show for bad people. Either way. Uh, I think I'm almost sure I'm going on tour with them. So maybe uh, if you're one of our... I'm a tiny segment of crossover fans, and you happen to see me in California, say hey, and we'll chat about music. Um, Molly, what do you got a plug? I have a plug for once, besides my underrated Twitter. Um, still underrated. I have a, by the time you are going to be hearing this, I have a new series of videos that I have shot and fucking directed and edited and it's called People Making Cool Things and it's about people making cool things and my first subject is the visual storyteller Bianca Ng who created this amazing set of illustrations for Women's History Month it's all gonna be bomb visit my website mollymaryobryan.com it's called uh, I'm also gonna put out an Instagram called The Molly Zone um, because I feel like that's good branding right? They can workshop it live. Yeah, I thought your yeah. Instagram was Wermst. No, I decided that's a little too niche. No one's going to know how to pronounce it. If you can't pronounce it, it, it's dead in the water. Okay. The Molly Zone. Um, at the Molly Zone on Instagram. Anyway, uh, visit it. Watch my shit. That's it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Just do it. Just do it. I'll do it. Whoop, whoop. Wow. Family. Follow. And you can follow us on Twitter at and intro pod or send us an email at and introducing pod at gmail.com. Our SoundCloud is at soundcloud.com slash and intro pod. And remember to subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, you should rate us and review us because I'm told that it does something about something. Um, I, I don't know. Just like listen to the show. And, and as I always say, just literally tell a person like verbally with your words, say, I listened to the show and it was good. And if you like music or books, you should listen to it. Yeah. Tell yeah. your friend. Tell, should, tell your boss. There should be fans as devoted to your podcast as they are to fish. Yes. Yeah. Thank People you. People should be following should. us around, <laughs> waiting outside our, our door, screaming, where's the pod? Where's the pod? And, and then we'll make our, our, our podcasts are like an hour to two hours long. Like we ran a little long on Travis Barker. But like how we didn't know what we were doing. His that life, was our third episode. His, his life is crazy. You can't not talk about him for at least like four. That episode hours. has we a thirty. That person has a, that episode has a thirty person blow bang in it. There's a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> is that what they call it? Yes. Okay. Got it. Cool. 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 Um. Anyway, yeah. No, we're we're way less time intensive than fish fandom. Yes. Yeah. Way less time intensive. You're in your you're in the door. You're out the door. Or or a blow bang. Or a blow bang. That's uh, like it took it. fucking forever. That's, yeah. <laughs> <That's so weird. laughs> Uh, and on that note, I'll leave it here and we'll see you in another two weeks for another episode of and introducing. Uh...